Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoras.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Sometimes it's difficult to do all that we know we're supposed to do. It's easy not to fulfill some of our duties. I guess I could talk about that for a long time, couldn't I? We all face that kind of thing, don't we? Well, that's true about life. There are just some things I don't want to do. And it's also true about our spiritual lives, that there are duties that we have that we just struggle with pulling it off. What is interesting about that is that there are things God wants us to do, and sometimes He has rather interesting ways to get it done. Now, it's something we should have done to begin with, but He just uses... Uh, interesting things to get us to do what we should have done in the first place. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I want to tell you a story that illustrates what I'm talking about, and it has a lot of twists and turns in it, and I'm going to suggest a surprise ending. I invite your attention to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. Now, if you will recall, Jacob has uh, gone to this far country. He's met a man named Laban. He's uh, married two of his daughters. And God really wanted him back in the land. Uh, That's where the Lord wanted him. The question is, what does he have to do to get him back to where he is supposed to be? And that's what this story is all about. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. Now, it says, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what we, or what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. Now, you have to recall what happened in chapter 30. Laban wanted Jacob to work for him, and they struck a deal, whereas they divided up the sheep and the goats, and Jacob was to take care of them, and he would keep for himself all the speckled and spotted and striped, uh, various colored, odd colored animals, and that would be his wages. Now, as this story opens, Laban's sons say, hey, wait a minute. Look at this. He's getting wealthy, and... That really belongs to our father. Now, that was not the deal. The deal was that he would get to keep the odd-colored sheep and goats and so forth. 
but the sons see that the Lord has really blessed Jacob and Jacob's flocks really expanded and Laban's hasn't, not like Jacob's has. So what's going on in verse 1 is simply nothing more than a little jealousy. And Jacob hears about it, and that bothers him. Look at verse 2. And on top of that, Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Well, Laban wasn't happy either. I mean, Jacob's, so to speak, in our parlance, making all this money, and he's not. And it's at his expense, he thinks. And so he frowns on Jacob. So the second thing that happens, and Jacob sees this uh, unfavorable situation through the nonverbals of Laban mainly his facial expression. He just saw the snarl on his face and thought, uh-oh, this is not good. Keep reading. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to your land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. All right, the third factor in here is the Lord comes along and says, Jacob, I want you to go back home. I want you to go back to what amounts today to be Palestine. That's the land I promised to give you, and I will be with you. So on top of the jealousy of the sons, on top of the unfavorable expression on Laban's face, he got a direct word from the Lord that said, go back home. So, he says uh, in verse 4, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field uh, to his flock. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance, and it was not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my fathers has been with me. And you know that, in all, um, that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. And he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore speckled. And he said thus, The streaked shall be your wages. And all the flocks bore streaked. So the Lord has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived. And I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in a dream, saying, Job, uh, Jacob, I am, uh, I, and I said, here am I. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to 
you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of the land, and return to the land of your father. Now let me pause here for just a second. Uh, because of all this stuff that's happening, uh, he decides he's got to go back home. Now, Laban has two daughters that are his wives. So he calls the wives to the field. This is going to be a secret little conclave we're going to have here. And he explains in great detail what they probably knew, what they witnessed. And he is saying in essence, now you remember the deal I made with your father. But he kept changing the deal with me. Matter of fact, he changed it 10 times. So one day he said, okay, you get all the speckled ones. And I, they started multiplying because of the Lord. And he didn't like that. So he said, okay, now you're going to get the spotted ones. And the Lord started multiplying those. And, and, you know, the Lord did all of this. And so he's explaining that to them. And he says in the process, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I told you I would be with you. And he says, I told you that at Bethel, which is recorded a few chapters before this in Genesis chapter 28. Then I'm back at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Now, they get the message, we've got to go where you go, we're going to go back to your home, but do we have everything? Is there more stuff we should be, you know, getting? Do we have all our inheritance? Verse 15, are we not considered strangers by him? For he sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our fathers are really ours, and our children are now then. Whatever God says to you, do it. Now here's what's going on. The father of these gals is a shyster. And he tried to deceive Jacob two or three times. And the girls say, you know what? He did it to us. He sold us as strangers. Now, what are they talking about? Well, do you remember the deal he made with Jacob? Jacob wanted Rachel, and he deceived him, and he worked for seven years to get Rachel, and he ends up with Leah. And then he works another seven years to get Rachel. And so what these girls are saying is, he didn't treat us like daughters with a dowry. He treated us like strangers and sold us. That's what he did. So there's no love loss between the daughters and their father. So they said, we're with you. Whatever God says to you, do it. We'll go with you. That's the message. Now, do you think Laban is going to let them go that easy? Are they just going to go to the father and say, well, we've decided to go back to Jacob's home. Do you think he would accept that? Based on everything we know about him so far, that's not likely. So they're going to have to get out of town 
after dark. Let's pick up the story at verse 17. Then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away with all of his livestock and all of his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Param Artem, and go, uh, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household item which were her father's. Actually, it's idols, plural. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. He's getting away under the cover of darkness. So he fled all that he had. He arose across the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So like I said, he got out of Dodge under the cover of darkness. Did you notice what I just said? What's the odd part of this story? What's, what jumped out of those verses I just read? What jumped out to you? She stole the what? Idols. What in the world did she do that for? In the first place, they were her father's idols. Why did she take them? Now you can imagine the commentaries go crazy trying to explain this because the text doesn't tell us why she did it. As a matter of fact, ancient Jewish commentators and ancient Christian commentators have come up with all kinds of suggestions. For example, some have said she was playing a prank on her father. Now, how they came up with that, I don't know, because the rest of the story will indicate that one's not true. Some said that she took the idols, not as idols, but because they were made out of some precious metal and they had intrinsic value, so she could melt them down and maybe sell them or something. Another possibility is that this is a suggestion from all these commentators, ancient commentators, that she was trying to break her father from his idolatry. And you can go on and on and on. Uh, somehow, uh, she was planning, it seems, according to this view, that if she took his idols, he wouldn't be an idolater anymore. Another suggestion in more modern times she did it because she was an idolater. She took the idols for her personal use. One commentator says that even though Rachel had a measure of faith in the true God, which we know from the previous chapter, it would seem that it was a true daughter of her as a true daughter of her father, she had been addicted to his religion and now had a kind of divided allegiance, trusting in the Lord and not wanting to be deprived of the good luck that the idol of her father would confer. So, that theory says she herself was an idolater. By the way, apparently Laban's family did worship false gods as well as the true God. Now that just seems like a mind-bending contradiction to us, 
but apparently in the Old Testament that happens. And I know from having been there that that kind of thing happens on the mission field today. Now there are Bible teachers who would say that's not even possible. You can't do that. And my response to that is, well, you just maybe ought to read the Bible with both eyes open because that does happen here, there, and yon. Shouldn't, but it does. One more comment by another modern commentator says, though she trusted Jacob's God, she also reluctantly, she was reluctant to completely give up her previous superstitions. And she thought that taking these things along would in some way help them on their long journey and in their new home to which they were going. Her attitude was little different than many new Christians today, happy to know the Lord, but not willing to enter a life of separation from the world. Now, when you put it like that, uh, that makes it a little more sense because the Apostle Paul says uh, that you should beware of covetousness, in the book of Colossians, which is idolatry. So in that sense, maybe it's true that even today, some who really know the Lord have an idol. And the idol is materialism or covetousness. That's what Paul said. All right, what we've had in this story so far is simply that uh, Jacob has decided for a whole bunch of reasons he's got to get out of town. He convinces his wives and they leave town without Laban knowing it. And the only little uh, caveat in this tale is, and she takes an idol with her. All right, let's pick up the story. This story has a lot of twists and turns, and it is exceedingly long. I'm at verse 22. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So they were gone for three days before he knew it. Why, how did that happen? Because he was away tending his flock. And in one passage, we're told it was three days away from Jacob. So it would take him three days to come home. And when he got back home, he discovered they were gone. Jacob was gone. His daughters he married, Jacob married, were gone. All of Jacob's uh, flocks and herds were gone. They had left lock, stock, and barrels, so to speak. Verse 23, then he took his brethren with him and pursued them for seven days' journey. They had a three-day head start, and it took him seven days going lickety-split, and he overtook them in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Now God is protecting Jacob, and he does it in this case by speaking directly to Laban in a dream. Verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. 
Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with a sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and song, with timbrel and harp. But you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters goodbye. I added the goodbye. Now, you have done foolishly in doing this. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your fathers spoke to me last night saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly longed for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? All right, Laban, and you might say justly, was a little upset. He didn't have a chance to say bye to his daughters. That would have been nice. And so he rebukes, reprimands Jacob, but he ends with, oh yeah, and why did you take my gods? All right, I understand. He says, I understand you want to go back to your father's house and your land. You don't want to go home. I understand that. But why did you take my idols? Now, Jacob didn't have a clue. He didn't know that the idols were gone. So, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever uh, you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of your brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Uh-oh. You see what he just did? He pronounced capital punishment on Rachel. I mean, whatever I've got of yours, whoever stole it, kill him. Now, he didn't know that it was Rachel. Is this interesting? Yes. Can you just say, I can't wait to find out what's going to happen. Now, if it were TV, at this point, we'd have a commercial. I mean, just at the time you're saying, oh, it's getting real good, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat, and what's going to happen next? And they want to sell you an aspirin or some such thing. I don't have a headache. I want to know what's going on. Back to the story. And Laban went with, uh, into Jacob's tent. <laughs> I know, he says, Jacob probably is the one that did it. I'll search his tent first. And into Leah's tent. And into the two maids' tent. Remember, they each had a maid. They became concubines, wives to Jacob. So there are four. And he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now, this is where we have another commercial. <laughs> now, 
Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. Now let me explain that this is probably saying that she put the idols, they're small little things, they're not real big, in the, the saddle that, on the camel. That was off the camel and in the tent. And so when he entered her tent, she's sitting on the, the saddle. And in the saddlebags are the idols. Get the picture? Now, what should she do when he enters the tent? Rise. That's what would have happened in that day. The daughter would have risen to honor the father. But look at verse 34. Um, and Laban searched all about the tent and did not find them. She's sitting on them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is after me. And he searched and did not find the household items. So she said, look, I'm on my menstrual period and I can't get up. Would you forgive me? That's what she did. Says it in plain type, you know. And so he searched the whole tent and he didn't find them. By the way, according to the book of Leviticus, for her to sit on these idols at that point in her life contaminated these idols. So she didn't have a lot of respect for these idols by sitting on them like this. At any rate, he didn't find them. Is this an interesting story or what? I'm telling you. Verse 36. And Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of my household things have you found? Your household things have you found? Set it here before the brethren and your brethren and they will judge between us. All right. Earlier in the passage, Laban lit into Jacob for leaving. Now, and then accuses him of taking his idols, which, of course, Jacob didn't do. And now it's Jacob's turn. Jacob is now going to light into Laban. And he cleans his plow. He's now going to tell him all those things that you did to me for all those years that I served him. And he has, as I count them, six complaints. This is a long passage. Bear with me. One, look at verse 38. These 20 years have I been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. He is saying, in essence, look, he was the shepherd of the flock. And he's saying, because I was so careful in taking care of your lambs and your goats, there were no miscarriages for 20 years when I watched over your flock. That's point one. Point two, verse 38. And I have not eaten the rams of your flock, 
During those 20 years, he had never used any of Laban's flock for his own food. That's the second observation he makes. I've been a good employee for you. You come accuse me of taking your idols. Three, look at verse 39. That for which is torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You acquired it from your hand, whether stolen by day or by night. So what he's simply saying is, he bore the loss of the sheep and the goats due to the attack of wild animals. Now, in order to appreciate this, you need to understand that under the law of the Near East at the time, a shepherd was not held responsible for losses of his master's flock due to the attack of wild beasts, and in some case, even thieves. So what he's saying is, legally, I'm not responsible for the sheep that got eaten or the, destroyed by wild animals, but I did it anyway. I took the loss, not you. That's his third observation. His fourth observation is in verse 40. There I was, and the day of drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sheep departed uh, from my eyes. So he's saying, look, I so faithfully served you. I served you doing the, the 110 degree heat. And I served you when it was below zero. The more intense the heat by day uh, was the colder it got at night in that part of the country. So the hotter the day and the colder with the colder the night was the rule. And I served you through all of that. Number five, verse 41. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. Matter of fact, remember at the beginning of this, he said, I served you for 20 years. And the thought might have occurred to you, wait a minute, he served seven for Rachel and seven for Leah. Where'd the 20 come from? Remember the deal in chapter 30 where he, he wanted to leave and Laban said, no, stay. And that's when they made the, the deal about the spotted and speckled animals. Well, apparently at that point, he worked six more years. So it was 20 years total. And what he's saying in this passage, for 20 years, I have faithfully served you. And during that time, I was faithful to you. I took losses and you changed my wages 10 times. Now, that's been alluded to in the first part of the passage. At one point, he said, well, you can have the speckled ones. And when they started multiplying, well, you can have the spotted ones. And when they started multiplying, you can have the gray ones. Remember that? And the daughters, his daughters, Jacob's wives, agreed. You know, he told them that. So this apparently is exactly what was going on. This guy is a real shyster. That's what's going on. Jacob made a sixth observation. It's in verse 42. Unless the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. Now what he means by that little phrase is the reverence that Isaac had had been with me 
In other words, I reverence God just like my father Isaac had done. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Matter of fact, if it had been left up to you, you would have cheated me out of everything. So he's giving it back to him. And he says, uh, God had seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night in that dream you had. So he is saying, except for the blessing of God, the God of Abraham, and the one Isaac reverenced, uh, you would have sent me home empty-handed. But God saw to it that he would be with me, which is exactly what God told Jacob in the first place. So what we, we have going on at this point is um, a knockdown, drag out, good old clean the air meeting. Uh, Laban's told Jacob what he thought and Jacob's now told Laban what he thought and we still haven't gotten him back home. What did the Lord say he wanted Jacob to do? Go home, right? Well, all we've got is this, in the middle of the journey, this great conflict, and we haven't resolved anything yet, and he still isn't back home. All right, now that we've cleared the air, and everybody has said their peace, then they make peace. And that picks up the story at verse 43 and goes to the end of the chapter, which is in verse 55. This is an exceedingly long passage of Scripture. I figured it would take me at least two hours to get through it. But we're not going to be quite that long, only an hour and 45 minutes. I'm kidding. All right, what you need to know in the rest of these verses is they made a covenant. That's in verses, uh, uh, well, let, let's go pick it up at verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you have is mine. But what can I say this day to these my daughters and to these their children whom they, uh, whom they have home? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant. You and I, let us be witnesses between me and you. So, without going into a great deal of detail, uh, we've looked at all the critical verses. What goes on next is simply that they make a covenant. And they pile up a pile of stones, and on one pile they have a sacrifice, which would be like saying they signed the contract. Another pile of stones, they uh, used it as a table to have a celebratory feast, and they gave names to the places, um, and this is the covenant. I think that's what's important. Let's drop down to verse 50 and get the, the terms of the covenant. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us to see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is the pillow which I have placed before you and me. This heap is a witness, and this uh, pillar uh, is a witness. 
that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. For God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of our fathers judged between us and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And so uh, they, made a, they made a covenant that what they're going to do is live in peace. And so they make this marker and they say, I won't go past this and you won't go past this. Peace. So they all came to an agreement, made a covenant. Verse 54 says they offered a sacrifice. Uh, they ate bread. They had a celebratory feast. Verse 55 says uh, the next morning Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, blessed them. And he departed, and he went home. Wow. We made it through that story in less than two hours. I'm shocked. If you read one verse a minute, it would take 55 minutes, right? All right. Did you get anything out of that story? What did you get out of that story? It would be fun to stop and let you come up here and tell us. What's the point of the story? What's going on in this story? I had to really scratch my head when I looked at this story. And I decided there's several things going on in this story. The sum of the story is rather simple. As a result of a conflict with Laban, and as a result of the call of the Lord, uh, and an agreement with his wives, Jacob departed for Canaan, and when Laban caught up with him, Jacob defended his faithful service to Laban, and they sat down and made a peace offering. I mean, that, those are the details of the story. So what do you get out of this? Well, I get two things out of this. I think what jumps off the page is that the Lord is faithful to his promise. Back in chapter 28, he said to Jacob, I will be with you. He has made a covenant with his grandfather Abraham, with his father Isaac, I'm going to give you this land and I want you back in the land. So what is, I think the reason this got inserted in the book of Genesis in the overall scheme of things in the book of Genesis, we're being told, and the Lord was faithful to his promise. He was faithful to his promise to be with Jacob, to protect Jacob, and to bless Jacob. And he did. He did it by appearing to Laban in a dream. So, having promised to give Abraham and his descendants the land, the Lord appeared to Jacob in a dream to return to the land. At Bethel, he promised to protect Jacob, and he did, even giving Laban a dream in order to accomplish that. So it as if the Lord threw a protective bubble over Jacob and said, Laban, don't touch him. Don't harm him. So the Lord protected Jacob. Years ago, in the days when the country flag still stood for something, 
An Anglo-American was traveling abroad and had the misfortune of being seized by extremists who held him hostage under the threat of death. An American and a British consulate asked to see the prisoner as a prelude to negotiations. At a favorable moment, the British consul stepped forward and threw a British flag over the fella, and the American did the same with the Stars and Stripes. Now then, they said, fire on those flags if you dare. Not sure this would work today, but it worked back in those days. That's what they did to protect those men, and it worked. So it's almost as if God threw his banner over Jacob and warned Laban, don't you touch him. Shoot that flag if you dare. So one of the great lessons that comes out of this story is that God protected Jacob. Now I said there was a surprise ending. Remember that? Where did God want Jacob to go? Home. I mean, that's really in this story, is it not? Here's the question. Was that his duty? Yeah. Then how did God get him to do his duty? What did God use to convince Jacob to go home. Do you remember? It's in those opening verses. It's the first couple of things I said. What's the first thing that happened in this chapter? You forgot. I don't blame you. That was hours ago, right? 55 verses ago. The first thing that happened is the sons got Jealous. What's the second thing that happened? Laban had this frown on his face. And those things were instrumental in convincing Jacob to get out of town. He went to his wives and said, I've seen the expression on your father's face and I think we should leave. Remember that? What's the third thing he used? He appeared in a dream and said, Jacob, I want you to go home. Now here's the point I would like to make in this story. Not the point I'd like to make, the point I think the story makes. Number one is God protects his children. God keeps his promises. That's clearly here. And the other thing and he sometimes uses strange things to get it done. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Is that a hymn? Some people quote it as scripture. It's not scripture. It's, uh, I think, a song. Well, God uses, in this case, jealousy and a frown on somebody's face. Now, let me ask you a question. Would God, does God do that kind of thing? Would God use jealousy to get his will done? You see, I think this is important because 
We see all kinds of crazy things going on. And what you need to understand is God works amongst the craziness. So if somebody is uh, frowning on you, who knows? Maybe the Lord will use that to accomplish his will. Right? You ever had anybody get jealous of you? Envious of you? Upset with you? It should not bother you. Because who knows what God does in the midst of jealousy and anger and all kinds of stupid stuff. So if you know that the Lord is working in your life, it doesn't matter what other people are doing, including getting jealous. That's your problem, not mine. And I'm just going to trust the Lord to work and maybe even use your jealousy. You ever heard any preaching like that? You ever heard anybody say anything like that? Did you ever read the New Testament? I'm going to close with an illustration. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'll never forget the first time I ever saw this. I scratched my head and said, you've got to be kidding me. God doesn't work like that. But that's what the text says. And sure enough, that's what the text means. Look at it. Philippians chapter 1. Now hold on, I have to tell you something. You understand that this was written from jail. This is one of the prison epistles, remember? So that um, Paul is in jail in Rome, and he's writing four letters. He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, all from jail. So this is one of his four prison epistles. So he's now, and they're all concerned about him. He's in jail. So he's got to explain what's going on and how he's handling it. And that's what he says. Verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm in jail, but you know what? <laughs> the way this has turned out, I've had an opportunity to preach the gospel. That's not so bad. I'd go to jail for that. That's what he's saying. Verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, he was being guarded by the palace guard, called the Praetorian Guard. He was handcuffed to them, and they had four-hour shifts. So here are these soldiers handcuffed to him, and he gets to witness so one every four hours, 24-7. So he says, because I'm in jail, the gospel has spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard the royal guard of Rome. Verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident in my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, this, the gospel is spread through the palace guard and Christians outside see that I'm doing it in jail and they say, well, if he can do it in jail, we can do it out of jail and the gospel is being spread by some of them. Verse 15, 
Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. What? The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Does that blow your mind? He says, let me tell you something. Because I'm in jail, some out of jealousy and selfish ambition are out there preaching the gospel, thinking such things as, he's in jail. I'll preach the gospel. I'll take the place of the apostle Paul. And Paul says, you know what? As long as they're preaching Christ, I don't care whether it's done. And this is the outlandish statement, even in pretense or truth, out of jealousy or love, I don't care. God gets his work done through his word. So just as long as the word is preached, I'm happy. Incredible. So we're to do our duty. God's given us things to do. And sometimes has to use strange ways to get us to do it. But don't let jealousy or envy or un somebody putting you out of favor bother you. Just figure out what the Lord wants you to do and do it. And as Paul says, and rejoice. Amen, amen. and amen. Father, thank you that you work in ways that we don't sometimes even understand. Thank you for working in our lives, protecting us, blessing us, and getting us to do your will and your duty, even sometimes in strange ways. But Lord, help us to see your hand in what is going on. In Jesus' name, amen.